Welcome back, everybody, to the Prepared Mindset Podcast. I am your host, as always, Austin, and having discussion this week around optics, specifically what it takes to create an optic, to to birth an optic, if you will. Uh, joined in this episode by Ahmad, the CEO and owner of Lead and Steel. If you guys aren't familiar with Lead and Steel, they're a smaller company, been around for a couple years out of Ohio, and uh, and we get into all that. But basically, they have done something that we haven't seen, you know, a, a lot of in the space, which is innovate and create a new optic offering at an affordable price point with a high level of quality. And that's their Promethean LP1 optic. You guys have probably seen pictures of it floating around out there on the interwebs, you know, on Instagram. If you haven't, take a look, you know, uh, head over to their website and, and check it out for yourself. It's a really, really cool offering. I think, you know, based off of the conversation that Ahmad and I have, you know, you guys are be really impressed with some of the features and just uh, in general impressed with the work that Lead and Steel is doing to try and bring new and innovative ideas to market and kind of breathe new life into a, a segment of the industry, honestly, that's been dominated by the same, you know, three, four, maybe five uh, companies over the last two decades, right? We get into all of that. We talk about the design. We talk about testing, all that good stuff. It's it's a great conversation. You guys are really going to dig it. Um, before I get over into that, <clears throat> need to uh, make sure we say thank you to our presenting sponsors here at the Prepared Mindset. First up, Midwest Gunworks. Guys, a new sponsor to us. Hooked you up with discount code Prepared Mindset, all one word, for 5% off your order. They've been in business since 1997. Guys, head over to MidwestGunworks.com. Whatever parts you're looking for, barrels, bolt carriers, uppers, lowers, stocks, lights, optics, they have everything you guys can need to complete your AR build. They've got full firearms there. Honestly, great, great guys over there. Whatever you guys are looking for, head over to MidwestGunworks.com. Again, discount code PREPAREDMINDSET is going to save you 5% off your order whether it's just some parts and pieces to finish that build or getting you started on a brand new one. I picked up a Geisley H3. My gun was spitting out at 2 o'clock, so slow down the bolts a little bit. Great, great place. Head over, again, MidwestGunWorks.com, discount code, prepared mindset. Have to say thank you as well to 100 Concepts. Guys, their motto is literally, do good, be dangerous, live free, all super good values that we support here at Prepared Mindset and super stoked to work with Jonah and those guys have their support. Check out their scope caps, their light caps. The light caps took, you know, Instagram by storm over the summer. A nice, affordable, innovative design that anybody can have access to. Love those things. I got another one coming for my new uh, Surefire M640 dual fuel. They make them for all different sizes and shapes of lights. They even have sizing charts available on the site. Pack scrim, helmet scrim, guys, all kinds of good stuff. Again, head over to 100concepts.com. See what the team's working on, what they got for you. Go pick yourself up some new gear today. I have to say thank you to LARP Labs. Guys, I know it's really in vogue to paint your rifles, and you should. Camouflage is super, super important. But sometimes we don't like to paint our optics, we don't like to paint our lights, we don't want to avoid warranties, things like that. That is where John and LARP Labs come in with their custom computer cut 3M vinyl. And this is not just a cheap sticker, guys, all right? This is the same kind of durable quality vinyl that used uh, or is used on competitive rock crawlers. It's got a three-year outdoor shelf life. Three years. 
Stuff is durable as hell. They set you up with discount code prepared mindset to save 10% off when you pick up yours at larplabs.com. Again, they have it for lights, your handheld, your weapon lights, optics, lasers, your PVS 14, and more. And he's always working on new scans, new stuff coming out, and all kinds of camo patterns and colors, whatever you guys need. John and his team can hook you up. Again, larplabs.com. Go grab you some. And last but certainly, very certainly not least, Active Carry. Guys, head over to activecarrytech.com. Pick up your pieces and components for your first aid kit needs. Whether you have a kit from another company, another manufacturer, you just need to add some parts to it, build it out a little bit. Or you're looking to build your own kit, you can pick up one of their blazers, one of their gammas, one of their breacher dangler kits if you're looking for something a little more tactical to go with your plate carrier. They have an ankle kit if you're out and about throughout the day and you want to make sure that your hands are free, you can't carry a bag, but you always want to have that medical on you, check out the Guardian. Their ankle kit is pretty slick. And if you still, after looking through all of that, can't find what you need, they have a really cool custom kit builder option. Again, you guys, head over to activecarrytech.com. Discount code PMP10 is going to save you 10% off your order. Whatever you need, they're your guys. Go check it out. All right. Now that that is out of the way, without any further ado here, I'm going to get us on over to my conversation with Ahmad from Lead and Steel, and we're talking about how they created the Promethean LP1 optic. Here we go. Ahmad, welcome to the pod, brother. How you doing? Thanks for for, uh, having me, dude. Good. Doing well. How are you? Good, man. Um, I actually took tomorrow off for the long holiday weekend. Um, so I am doing exceptionally uh, well. Uh, in addition to having been looking forward to this discussion for for quite a bit here, uh, you know, we're like, honestly, I just want to get into it because this is something that I don't think I've really talked about with any. I mean, I've had um, I've had Nick from Leopold Optics on in the past. Um, but we talked a lot of scope stuff. And what you guys do is a little bit different, but just a yeah. little bit, right? <laughs> um, so let's jump into it. And if you, we, let's just start, introduce yourself to the listeners, brother. Tell them uh, what you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Ahmad Abukar. I am a, um, I'm the CEO and owner of Lead and Steel. Uh, Lead and Steel is a, uh, <clears throat> an optics, nylon, and small arms manufacturer in central Ohio. Uh, we started Pretty small time, uh, about four years ago. Right when I, right when I started law school, I started the company, and sim- simultaneously through that journey, uh, Lead and Steel began to scale. That's a uh, lot at once, man. Law school, oh, and me, startup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. I think it was genuinely uh, uh, a short-sighted decision to just bit off more than I can chew. But thankfully, everything turned out okay on both fronts. But yeah, uh, definitely added to the gray hair collection. Um, so yeah, we we started off uh, pretty small, like other companies. <laughs> And uh, slowly but surely, we uh, began to scale uh, and, you know, put the liquidity and the, you know, <clears throat> revenue that we got from just our generic third-party resale into the company, into actually building the brand. Uh, I figured, hey, this is a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Thankfully, I have a really good uh, network and community of uh, customers and supporters online that uh, like the services that we offer and the customer service that we have. So uh, why not, we, you know, just swing for the fences? I... Uh, Thankfully, excuse me, I was telling you before the pod started, I'm still getting over a little cough from uh, whatever the hell we caught a shot. Uh, a little souvenir uh, from SHOT Show, yeah. As we get them every year, fun times. Uh, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, 
we thankfully were in a position just very well positioned uh, and it was all just you know by chance here um or fate if you will we had uh you know uh, connected with a number of you know good industry professionals who helped us with the marketing aspect of our brand uh, and most importantly uh people within my you know circle uh, were extremely supportive in helping us grow this brand. Uh, my brother was instrumental. My younger brother is a mechanical engineer. He currently works with GM in their automotive design um, department. Wow. So, yeah, he's uh, he's brilliant, smartest guy I know. Uh, and <clears throat> my business partner, uh, who's a patent attorney, also a brilliant man and e-commerce specialist. Uh, and so, you know, we and we both graduated from the same law school, so there's a lot of overlap there. We've known each other for a while, and so, you know, we uh, we have thankfully much of the legal side covered, much of the engineering side covered. And then through that, you know, we began to just expand with like-minded people who hopped on board. Uh, you know, it's instrumental, the amount of growth that we had, but really it's not, uh, it's, it's totally as a result of the team and the talent that we have on that continue to push the brand uh, and help us, you know, develop and offer solutions to problems that the industry's had for a while. But, you know, many of these big companies just really don't want to tackle because it's you know, too liquidity intensive or too challenging for them. They just want an easy buck, whatever. So yeah. we cut our teeth on a lot of that uh, private or that that third party resale. <clears throat> basically, got all the liquidity that we needed for manufacturing from that, and then basically, you know, dumped all that stuff for our own in house brand. That was the way that we, you know, stayed away from external funding, basically in debt. Thankfully, and here we are. Now we're just uh, tip of the iceberg, man. We've got a lot coming for 2023, and it's just trying my best to hit home run after home run. Uh, to get you know the products out there and the solutions out the guys who need them so that's that's lead and steel that's that's who we are and that's uh who i am yeah i'm and and i think what has attracted a lot of eyes and intrigue right is that you guys you guys launched your optic last year was it yeah, yeah 20 last year we we launched it uh in like mid to late october if i recall um okay. and i was not expecting uh the the mental launch that we had uh, and we sold out far too quickly. <laughs> and so since then <laughs> trying to, you know, catch up uh, and, and get yeah. those folks in the hands of guys that want them. Well, and that's the, and that's always the interesting and intriguing part with, especially I'll say the optic space, you know, uh, and looking at what you guys have done with the, it's the Promethean, right? The LP one. Yeah, correct. <clears throat> it's, it's it, it just it seems and it appears and I've not I've not played with one. I've not. This is dis- full disclosure for anybody listening, but it seems and it appears from the content that's out there and just the overall appearances that like this is pretty well thought out. You know, I, we've every year, right? You were at shot. I'm sure you saw more than you could even remember of companies. Oh, yeah, we got a new optic. Hey, we got a new optic. And it's, you, you know, I mean, I get, I get if it's if it's not broke, don't don't fix it. But like for what, 15 years, we saw, hey, every company is coming out with their flavor of the Aimpoint T1, the yeah. Aimpoint, you know what I mean? Like, um, and it's like, okay, well, where's the innovation? Is this really, you know, uh, is this really going to benefit somebody? So, mm-hmm. and it seems like what you guys are doing actually fills a need that's been, I'll say it's, there's been a, some good attempts at other companies to like, fill that gap in the industry space. But how did you guys get to the point with the the LP1 where, you know, you decided, hey, this is kind of like, you know, this is the offering we want to bring forward. Let's let's start shaping this and, and make this a reality. Yeah. So, you know, getting into optics manufacturing is not a turnkey uh, business, obviously. Uh, yeah. A lot of, um, takes a lot of trial and error with the right equipment and the right talent. 
Uh, and so it, it really just took learning from the mistakes of our competitors uh, and beginning the teardown and reverse engineering process um, and, you know, just drawing up the designs uh, and assembling the spec. And then, frankly, hiring out the contract employees that would help us learn the craft. Right. Um, it's not because, <clears throat> you know, here's a little industry kept secret. Anyone can go out and make an optic. Right. right. Anyone can go to an optics manufacturer somewhere in Asia and be like, hey, give us this, right? And they'll do everything top to bottom. And then they'll ship it out to you and they'll, you'll pay for it. And then you just stick your logo on is it. it is it really that easy? Is yes. that why we see so many of, like I just said, like 18 versions of the Aimpoint, uh, not really an Aimpoint Team 1, but it looks the same? Exactly. And m- many of them are from the same company. Uh, now I know like, you know, <clears throat> There are a bunch of like Amazon pop-up companies. Not all of them are like this, but the vast majority of them are. Uh, and, you know, it's a cheap attempt at, at you know, innovation. Uh, and so it's it's different when you take some of that manufacturing capability and you piecemeal it in-house, you know. Um, <clears throat> now, there's, there's obviously nothing wrong with just submitting a design to like an optics manufacturer and say, you know, make us this because we know this will work. Uh, but you know when you when you do a lot of the quality assurance and quality control in house, you eliminate much of the typical overseas manufacturing slip ups that will traditionally tarnish a brand. And when you go out swinging as an optics startup and say we're targeting the duty crowd, you need to make sure that you're obviously your cards are in order, uh, everything yeah. is uh, aligned and taken care of uh, and looks good inside and out. Because ultimately, someone may be relying on this uh, for their job, uh, you know, and you know whatever extreme circumstance that it might be in. And so, you know, to, <clears throat> to discuss the industry and, and, and the way it works, you know, I, I affectionately refer to the industry as greasy, right? Because everyone <laughs> would come out and, and say that this is their design or this is their product or this is their offering or they made it or whatever. You know, not a lot of that is true, unfortunately. And so myself as a consumer first in this industry, as, as you are and as everyone else is, uh, you see these patterns, you recognize you know, the products that are out there uh, and you re- and you realize like, hey, it's, you know, why don't we just cut through this crap and, and mm-hmm. develop a product that uh, actually nails what people are looking for. And, you know, obviously, <clears throat> it's not to say that our, some of our competitors didn't deliver that. At the end of the, the, end of the day, you know, um, things change, right? The market changes uh, and uh, people's perceptions of what is good and bad in a market also change as a result. You know, uh, we saw this like market shift towards that aim point T1, for example, because everyone was like, dude, amazing battery life. It's yeah. a dot, you know, shoot with both eyes open, whatever. And now we see this new resurgence of the large window optic that allows you to see a little more through it, especially if you're, let's say, cross-eyed dominant or you don't use the bin naming concept or whatever. It allows you to pick up that optic, most importantly, in very awkward, you know, positions when you shoulder that rifle, you may not have, um, the most perfect position around a car or around a barricade so that you can see through that, you know, little 20 millimeter tube and pick up that two MOA dot. Uh, and so there are some benefits obviously to that. And, you know, for us to simply say, I want this, you know, I want this large window, large reticle, you know, optic. Um, <clears throat> you can't just borrow the same materials and the same design cues of those smaller optics, because now you have larger surface area, you have more glass and you have more avenues and potentials, uh, to break that optic as a result of a larger surface area. So you have to be a little more witty with how you, you know, redirect that kinetic energy if you're trying to solve for, you know, durability standards as compared to some of these smaller optics that are gen- generally more durable and can get away with some of the weaker materials that we see. Um, so yeah, with the, the uh, long ranted answer, forgive me, but to, to answer mm-hmm. your question, you know, um, 
the industry changes uh, and ultimately you can very quickly you know pluck out the people who are truly innovating the people who are just blanket scale like rebranding and the people who innovated once and have been just kind of resting on their laurels for like 15 20 years after a couple government contracts yeah. you know and that's the market segment that we're trying to pull from yeah and and you know you mentioned a couple different interesting things there you know about the durability and the way you have to spread out that uh kinetic energy on on impacts and that's really i think probably one of the most and i don't know i'm assuming it's probably one of the most challenging parts of designing a duty based optic um <clears throat> and you see some honestly to, to me the trijicon rmr comes to mind cuz it's got mm-hmm. that weird inverted horn looking yeah. like design on the top of it and every, you know people when it came out like why did you do that that looks weird that looks goofy and and all these ideas and it's like well okay it, it absorbs impact that's the difficult piece to this is you want something that obviously looks good right you want something that's going to be durable as hell and those two things don't always go hand in hand and if you do then people go okay well but is it lightweight yeah. like, okay well all right now you're asking for a, yeah. a bit much it, i mean it's tough it, yeah, it's sure. really difficult uh and and that's why we end up with and to your point, like I think you just said that you get you get one thing right, one either one one whole design or one concept right, and then that's just like Coastville until people get sick of it. And if you're lucky, that's I don't know what ten years, fifteen years. Um, if you're not, and it's one of those flash in the pan things, it's a couple years until the next thing comes along. Yeah. Uh, it's it's tough, and. I think, unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, it seems like you guys have done certainly done your due diligence, right? You're going to be compared to the next guy immediately. Um, actually, I think when you guys launched, I was looking through the the post, and somebody like compared the the op, your Promethean there to like one of the. It was a Sig optic. I can't even tell you their naming conventions. By the way, like. Yeah, whoever's whoever's doing their marketing needs to. <laughs> it's it's like when Ford came out with the Model T and the A, and it's like, okay, like listen, you, you guys need to get who's going to keep track of this? Like, yeah. come on, they're just going to think the large mailbox with the hood, you know? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we we were, uh, and you know, uh, one of the trials by fire in this industry that I learned is that. You know, at first we 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 had a pretty aggressive introductory price on the LP1 because we wanted some you know adoption and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and it kind of you know fire backfired to an extent because people would just immediately uh, and this is just buyer sentiment. It shows you the state of the industry and it sucks because like you you hope for more than this, but sadly the lowest common denominator is the majority of the industry, and the majority of the industry thinks pricing equals quality. Right. Mm-hmm. The first comparison that we had we had when, as soon as we hit the market was like, oh, so this is like my hollow sum. And it's like, oh man, just because of the price? Come on, dude. You know what I mean? They don't. Yep. They don't understand that we we legitimately are not just as durable as the highest, you know, great optics out there. We're, we've surpassed that, uh, and we're offering more than that, and we're doing it at a breakneck price because, you know, frankly, the optics industry is fat, you know, and guys make a ton of money. And it's almost criminal, and for us to just take the same logic and philosophy and building the lead and steel brand, just offer excellent value products. Uh, for everyone, frankly, just so you don't have to take a loan or buy into a mindset or complex or tactical cool guy, whatever to have something you can rely on to, for us to take that and copy and paste it into optics, you know, uh, we just kind of backfired on this. Sadly, people just realized like, you know, why, why am I supposed to believe that your optic is so much better for the price? You know what I mean? Right. 
because frankly, they, it's a pretty well industry kept secret. Like uh, even for our LEDs, for example, like when we purchase our LEDs in bulk from our Japanese and our German suppliers, you know, the cost of my red LED is the exact same price as the cost of my green LED. So is the uh, green, so is the glass. Um, obviously, the uh, anti-reflective coatings that are built up on the glass and the coatings that help you with the refraction and reflection with that green wavelength, the exact same price. But for whatever reason, everyone in the industry is like, just keep a hush hush and add a fifty dollar margin to your green reticle op, you know. And so that's why for like our LP one, like the next batch that are going to come with green, they're going to be the same price as the red, uh, because it's like okay, you know, you know, let's buck this trend and let's show people like, hey, don't get hosed, you know. Yeah, not- that's. That's so weird because I mean, and there's some out there that'll, you know, uh, you know, hollow sun. I think they, you can get it green or red, but I don't, yeah, now that you say that, I, I think there, there usually is some kind of price difference over color. And I never understood it. Um, mm. somebody told me, like, well, I think green shows up or what I think it was green, green shows up better under night vision. So that's why you get it up. Tra- like, I don't know. I haven't played with nods enough and I personally hate, uh, green like my dots are all red and that's just what I like and everything. But you know, you're a hundred percent right. Um, and, and sometimes price is indicative of quality. Um, you look at optics or, or nylon or, uh, you know, anything, you know, uh, cheap stuff in a lot of instances, yes, it, it wears out faster. You, you, you have issues with it. The flip side of that, that I don't think you're, I'll say you're, I don't want to say you're layman, but like your basic person in the community, what a lot of them don't realize when you're looking at some of these big name companies and optics is they have military contracts. And once you get that contract, you cannot sell to the general public for less than what you sell to uncle Sam, which makes sense. The government doesn't want to get under like, that's, that's fine. But knowing that a lot of these companies, and again, it's not just optics. That's there. There's light companies out there. Like that's why your surefire light costs so much more. In some instances, like is they have a government contract, so they're going to make sure they make their money on that contract. And that's business. That's that's business. You can't fault them for that. But understand that that does not mean that something that is a little bit cheaper is going to be, you know, marginally worse. It may just mean that they didn't win a contract. Precisely. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, some some companies will price their. Uh, products now, like the new trend is is to price it inverse, right? To intentionally overprice the product uh, or price it within the industry standard, the commercial industry standard, because mm-hmm. they know the is going to buy it cheaper. And that contract is a value like benefit, right? So like you take the SIG M17 or the P320, you know, your average P320, your M17 rather is what, like 500 bucks, right? Something like that. Uh, you know, big U, a big government paid, I think uh big army paid like $204 per unit in their, in their last contract, right. For all those pistols, you know? Um, so that just shows you what the margin is for some of the small arms development there. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the government that or the, rather these companies will, will use that government contract and be like, you know, check it out. Good enough for government. Good enough for you. You know what I mean? Like, is, yeah. is your, you know, life worth the $400 that you'd pay for a cheaper gun, buy ours for five or six, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's, it's it's funny how it's just goes up and down and fluctuates and stuff. But yeah, you're right. The industry is a funky place, man. Yeah, and then then you introduce things like, well, I mean, people like me or or influencers with actual followings and stuff. Uh, there's some huge names out there, right? That have hundreds of thousands of followers, and if they say, "Hey, you know, I've been playing around with this uh, little laser or these iron sights, or whatever," and it's like within two months, 
they they blow up mm-hmm. and for what reasons because this guy said that it was great you know yeah. and it could be it could be there are some guys that do that do their due diligence and their you know recommendations so it's yeah it's one of those things when people start asking me they're like hey I want to get into a budget red dot. I want to get into this, but my buddy said I shouldn't buy whatever brand I shouldn't, you know what I mean? Like with anything I'm like, well, I can tell you my experiences. You can save a little bit of money. You don't have to go for, you know, uh, not all of your nylon has to be from cry and not, you know, uh, you don't have to go Daniel defense or I'm just trying to think of like expensive brands off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are acceptable substitutes that'll get you, you know, where you need to be. I mean, now if you, that's not to say if you don't, right, you're not going to be happy with that stuff, but you're just going to pay a lot of money. Um, but yeah, to your point, that's, that's the industry. Um, you know, and I'm sure that's something that you guys are, I I mean, from like a business standpoint, like it's gotta be cut, like, it's almost impossible to forecast too, Mm -hmm. to an extent, like the reaction and like the, the buy-in or what's going to happen or, anything like that 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 has to be something that's just like measured you know you have to take a measured approach to like okay we don't want to overdo it we don't want to i mean like you said tried going low on the price to get early buy-in and the cool thing is i'm sure a lot of people are like you know i got these before they were cool and you know you guys slept on the deal so you know your loss yeah yeah we're we're happy about that because we get you know we like seeing when guys share our products online because it's like man i this is surreal, you know, like guys like dropping into our subreddit, like, oh, I got serial number 21. Look at mine. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, uh, especially like the early serial number guys, they, you know, they really help us being like almost like brand ambassadors. Right. And, you know, most importantly, you know, a lot of the guys in a lot of the community helped us with, you know, some of the smaller, you know, implements in like uh, the LP one and some of the other projects that we have. And that's part of the reason why, thankfully, I'm so blessed and humble to have that community because we hit, you know, we have a little more confidence with when we, drive our products and when we release them uh it's good to have a polling and a diversity of input and opinion because like my, me and my 12 guys and my team like we can only do so much right mm-hmm. uh, if, I, if i like drop in a little poll and i say hey guys you know what 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 dot size do you want uh you know your your pandora your little you know mailbox red dot that we're doing uh do you want a three moa dot do you want a six moa dot and then we'll get like a poll there and i can say okay well three moa is more popular than the six i personally prefer a six moa dot but to help the market, we'll start with three because we're only we only have so much liquidity for a project, right? Right. And so that kind of that kind of allocates some of the risk there. Um, and it's just these small little wins over and over again. People begin to develop the the brand continuity and, and, and know like, okay, listen, um, you know, Ahmad's going to be straight with us, and the company's going to be straight with us. And uh, you know, if they're offering something at an introductory por- uh, price point, and I provided some input that they utilized, you know, now I'm also slightly, almost partially, mentally invested in this brand. And I want to see it grow because. They're genuine, right? Thankfully, and I hope I'm not sounding disingenuous here talking about myself in the third person. But no, like, you know they're genuine and they care about our input, and it's been materialized. And they listen to you know market industry feedback and stuff. So you know it's 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 awesome for us. Like for example, like our our, our LP one when it launched in October, we had uh, a total of eight settings with two night vision settings, right? Uh, and we started seeing a little bit of. Uh, feedback from guys who are, you know, those initial adopters using their night vision settings under uh, white phosphorus, right? And me, you know, I'm broke. My, most, a lot of my guys are too, you know, early on. So like just a bunch of fresh freaking grads, right? And so we can't afford white phosphorus. All we had were green phos night vision goggles and, and, and you know, single uh, uh, PVS 14s. And, you know, they 
they look good with the current output that we selected for those you know first two settings but we didn't do it under white foss because we just didn't have any white foss units and so guys immediately came back and they're like hey listen we can't see it as well under white phosphorus and i was like oh boy okay time to go back to the drawing board on the current values and up a little bit of power there and give people a little more specificity in their control range um and uh, thankfully it worked out. And obviously, you know, we have like a lifetime warranty on these products. So whenever someone goes up to me like, hey, I use it on night vision and it's problematic. I'm like, cool, no worries, man. Send it in. I'll swap out your emitter. We'll repurge it. We'll send it right back out to you, you know, um, or excuse That's me. That's awesome. Swap out the, you know, the circuit board there. So it works. Um, it, it works great. And it, it helps us develop, uh, um, you know, an excellent product uh, out the door. And, and, you know, that's that's huge. Like we, we haven't discussed it yet. Um, <clears throat> But if you're cool with it, I don't know what the you know the, the details are the plat the platforms that you upload to. Are we allowed to show like products and stuff on screen, or would you prefer that we don't? No, I mean we can talk about it. I don't actually uh, use the video other than just because it's weird if you're talking to a black screen. But oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, right. Okay, cool. Well, just for your demonstrative purposes, um, this is our this is our arc, right? This is our uh, uh, our take on like an AR that we wanted to bring to the market. Yeah, uh, and you know, similar to like what you said, some of the you know, more expensive brands out there like Daniel Defense and stuff. We wanted to take as many boxes as possible, but obviously undercut those brands. Uh, and, you know, thankfully it's it's because of the community telling us like, hey, you know, I, I wish my gun wasn't so gassy when I put a can on it. I wish my 12.5 was a mid-length instead of a carbine length, you know, excuse me. I wish we had, you know, anodized uh, rifles instead of like blanket Cerakote that like chips and scratches easily and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, seeing that feedback and getting that feedback, it helps us, materialize the ideas excuse me into real products and then we can offer them at like breakneck pricing you know <laughs> yeah no and it's it's nice to see companies listening to the 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 market you know um i think that we have there there's there's so many names out there doing it but then the ones that are the the most i'll say like the most recognized like your top your top companies out there yeah. it almost starts to be like obvious that they stop listening yeah that they yeah. that they only want to listen to those people that are going to win they're going to win the bids from for contracts or they're hey we're going to roll out this you know this laser unit it's gonna be great it's gonna be lightweight it's gonna be bore aligned it's gonna be ambi controlled you're gonna love it but we're only gonna release it for law enforcement yeah it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> damn it about- man yeah, the the you know the the board of directors discussions, the, the the head of marketing and the strategy. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's very much bureaucratic. You know? Oh yeah, you spot those companies out uh, very quickly in terms of like the hey, what do you guys want versus this is what you want. Buy it. You know, um, it's crazy. But yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that too. It's pretty funny. <laughs> we don't we certainly don't believe in that exclusivity. Uh, arrangement with products and stuff like that. It's just lose a bad taste in my mouth, man. Well, and you, and it starts to, it's thankfully it has started to become more of a trend in the industry to embrace those kinds of principles. Really. I mean, that's what they are. They're principles that you, you, you guide the business by, um, you know, and I'm sure to some extent, I mean, T-Rex arms is a big name that gets thrown around. They were one of the very, in my experience, and they, they could not be the first one, but they're one of the very first ones to, to be very vocal about that kind of thing. And also say, Hey, we're not going to do business with some of these companies because that's how they model. And, you know, here in America, we're, we're super blessed with the second amendment and, you know, that's, it's designed around our civilian populace and things. And yeah, we have a really good military, obviously, (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I 
I think it's it's awful the way some of these companies have uh, shifted their development and focus and marketing to only military um, to the point where now you see some optics, some lasers, some, you know, whatever. And people are online like, what, you know, what is that? I don't, uh, what is that? I've never seen that. And they go, oh yeah, it's, it was only available to military. And it's like, presentation, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or same thing with, you know, you want, you start to wonder about some of these guys that are running some of these lasers and stuff or uh, certain optics. Like, well, where'd you get it? If it's, if it's law enforcement only, yeah. where did you get it? Mm-hmm. And then you start to kind of discover that there's like a whole secondary market that's kind of weird and, uh, uh you know, it, yeah. it's so, so to hear you guys, I don't, I don't think to your, your earlier comment, uh, I, I think it's awesome. Um, I don't think it's weird that you, you would talk about it. I think it's something that more companies, if that's the way you, if that's the way you're doing it, like let people know, I think everyone's always looking for another company that they can put on the list of who can I trust to go? Like, who can I trust to go spend my money with? Yeah. You know, it, yeah. Cause it's not, it's not always about price. A lot of times there's other factors involved. It could be something as simple as a holster or it could be an optic, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it feels like some of these companies are like, uh, it's like, a, it's almost like an exclusivity, like hype beast thing. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, just let's, let's, let's drive the hype with se- like through secrecy, you know? And that's what other industries do. Like uh, you think the automotive sector, Right. Uh, you have like, you know, company concepts like car concepts and like, uh, you know, photos of next generation cars around like the streets of like Detroit or like San Diego or something like that. And it generates the hype on its own. And so you may you may get a lot of these like, you know, migrating CEOs and like, uh, you know, board of directors, uh, executives that are like basically telling the gun industry to do the same thing. And you can see it, you know, from a mile away. Like, <laughs> like we, we understand that this was you know, for a contract and it's under NDA. And so you can't discuss it with, you know, until the contract solicitation program is over. But as soon as it's over, and as soon as you're certain that you didn't win that contract, you're going to hit the civilian market and ask triple what you told the government you, you'd sell them for, you know, and people would buy it. Um, and so yeah. it's crazy, man. We're, I mean, we take it the opposite approach because we understand that the, the you know, frankly, military standards are actually far more, in my opinion, influenced by the civilian industry. Um, and the commercial shooting industry than other things. You know, I feel like the the U.S. military, when it comes to small arms development specifically, uh, is kind of in the lagging sector uh, as compared to, you know, the ingenuity and the innovation that occurs in the commercial market. Uh, and so you'll see a lot of the same design characteristics and cues that come from the commercial industry being, you know, then implemented and taught by, you know, um, uh, you know, instructors. Um, you know, within the uh, the military industrial complex, if you will, and like many of the same rifles and design philosophies and stuff like that. Uh, and so, you know, for us, it's very much, let's lay the foundational groundwork of knocking out all the basics uh, yeah. and understand what, you know, lead and steel is all about. And, you know, from there we can solicit contracts and thankfully, you know, just fingers crossed, we do have a couple of our optics currently in testing with some other nations in their own specific uh, weapons and optics trials. Right. And we're hoping that we win. We don't know if we will or not, but yeah. Luckily, at the same time, it, you know, one couldn't have existed without the other. And thankfully, because of our launch in the commercial market, we got some of the notoriety there. Uh, and yeah. some of the- and so- I think that's something people need to like look at and realize, honestly, too, is if you jump back 20 years ago, when we had just gotten into, you know, the war on terror, we had, you know, uh, XYZ optics, right? Uh, like Aimpoint 2000 and, uh, you know, some just very archaic technology and, 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 and obviously we jumped into that conflict and 
first major, you know, conflict the U.S. has been in, in in such a long time. And we needed we need better tools for our soldiers to be more effective and everything. And then what was it, around uh, 04, 05, when the assault weapons ban here, the Clinton assault weapons ban fell off and all this stuff became all of a sudden it's civilian accessible again. Mm-hmm. And so now it's OK, well, I see the military using this. Let me go out and buy one of those for my rifle now that I can now that I can have all this again. And then it's okay, well, now the military's putting out these needs for contracts, there's more more optics being developed. And what's a bigger market? I mean, yes, the military may order, I don't know, 50,000 of whatever optic or light or suppressor, whatever have you. There is going to be a shitload more of civilian sales than there are to the military side. So yeah, I mean, to your point, I think it's 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 huge. I would... I could see it both ways, right? Because those contract deals, that's like, it's like guaranteed money. Like once you, you win it, you know, that's a huge sale. Yep. But I would almost say, and I know some companies have like the civilian market is really where you want to, it, it, you know, that's where you would, you would want to focus at least to some degree, right? Because of, I mean, how now, now not everybody has to pick your optic, right? That's, that's the flip side of that coin, but I mean, we have how many millions and millions of people in this country that own firearms and of them, most of us own more than one. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, it, it's, and I've talked about this with people before and you know, it's the civilian market, I think drove a lot of the advancements that we see or have seen in military technology as it pertains to weapon systems. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's, you know, one of the big driving factors for us, it's like, you know, yes, we can, you know, psychologically associate our brand just based on price. But what would we rather have? We'd rather have, you know, a guy buying, you know, one of our optics uh, for like, you know, 600 bucks, 700 bucks, like some of our competitors, or would we rather seeing him uh, rather see him rather justify, you know, Hey, you know, for every one of these XYZ companies optics that I can buy, I can outfit my rifles with two LP ones, you know, um, and outfit two of my guns uh, with, you know, with their products. And so like, you know, pricing plays is obviously a big factor, uh, but we're just, we're still trying to get over that psychological hump where people are like, oh, wow, cheaper. It must be crappier, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll and, and so for that, I mean, one of the things that I think a lot of people will rely on is it's obviously word of mouth and that's any product. Word of mouth is huge. But um, one of the things specifically, I think is optic in this, and let's talk in this instance, right? The optic performance, but specifically around the durability, right? Yeah. And everybody knows there's guys out there that that's all they do, right? Like Aaron from Sage Dynamics has, uh, I mean, the dude is now basically internet legend because he has destroyed more optics than I think any of us could afford in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I don't know how, if you can go into any specifics, like when you guys were, were going through testing, like how do you, how do you approach something like that? Do you go, Hey, um, we're, I mean, we're, we're going to hit this thing with a hammer uh, guys throw it off a two-story bill. I mean, I've seen all kinds of goofy stuff online. Some of it is a little far-fetched, uh, but what does that look like when you guys are trying to like give a, a really, you know, reasonable and realistic approach to, to durability testing? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an excellent question. Cause we, you know, we, we don't get a lot of that question. We get a lot of the, you know, I'm not going to buy this until it satisfies the X, Y, Z testing protocol or parameter or, you know, yeah. whatever effective views of what a durable optic should should do. Um, you know, the 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 Aaron uh Cowan testing 
uh, at least a couple of the videos. I've seen some of his videos and I, I like his, you know, more scientific approach uh, and consistent approach to things. Um, you know, that's uh, relative. I mean, it depends on the, I've seen him do a couple of things, but, uh, you know, particularly the concrete testing uh, is, is what I've, you know, paid attention to. Uh, and I like that. Uh, I like I like his consistency in the concrete testing because, you know, that's probably one of the most worst case scenarios that you can implement or rather, you know, have your optic or equipment see or deal with. Uh, you know, concrete wasn't the majority of our destructive testing, but we went through several LP1s, sacrificed many an LP1 on the <laughs> uh, testing altar, if you will. And, you know, for us, it it, it was... You know, what's the optic going to generally like deal with uh, on its traditional day to day basis? And what's the optic going to see in the most worst case scenario? Um, and it, thankfully, much of that hard work was uh, shortcutted around thanks to just basic concepts of engineering. Now, uh, I, uh, you know, unfortunately was <laughs> robbed of an undergraduate experience in engineering. I shouldn't have gone into STEM. I was I did a lot of neuroimmunology and stuff. And so I, I missed some of those core functional aspects that, you know, weren't taught, uh, in medicine. Um, but thankfully my brother picked up a lot of the slack for us and he helped kind of guide my direction on, uh, the engineering there. And, you know, one of the big things that we look at when it comes to, uh, the, the EOTech, right. EOTech is a very traditional square optic, right. Square window. Um, and when it comes to, uh, impacting a square optic, if you impact just the top of the hood and the direct center point of the hood, uh, just uh, if I had to, you know, give you, here we go. Here's a basic XPS series EOTech. Here's just do a little pin drop right in the middle of that hood and all of the kinetic energy of the rifle landed right there. This square design, this hood design would fare a hell of a lot better than our LP1, right? Because those 90 degree elbows of that, of that hood offer the most, I guess, uh, resistance to that central deflection of the hood uh, as compared to the rounded top of, of our LP1. But we had to look at the traditional drops uh, on concrete and the drops that an operator may have with their rifle. And, um, you know, we were thinking like, what, what's more probable? Is it going to be the most perfect center of drop or is the rifle's center of gravity uh, going to change the trajectory, I guess, of the impact, location of the impact? Uh, is it going to land on a perfect you know, gravel or piece of rock that's like sticking right up out of the ground, or is it going to be more of a distributed load? And so when you then tackle like these concepts of engineering from, uh, you know, designing towards some sort of central point load impact versus a distributed load where something is going over a larger surface area or on the corners of the optic, which is what we usually see when a rifle gets dropped. Uh, now you have to, uh, you know, change that angle of that hood so that it can fare better against some of those, some of those impacts. And so, you know, for us, it, we started with just finite element analysis, which is just um, mainly software based on some of your, uh, you know, engineering and design CAD programs. SolidWorks is the one that we use and it has a very, very good FEA program. And it tells you what what the stress points are uh, if you plug in the material selection and you, you, you know, you provide the diagram. It tells you where the stress points are and how much load a particular, you know, material can take before it begins to get into uh the plastic zone or begin to yield and permanently yeah. deflate, right? And so for us, we could then, you know, start playing with the materials, uh, striking the balance between weight, the material selection, the cost of that manufacturing, how much we can, how much we can do. You know, I'll, I'll give you a little tidbit here. Uh, there are two main aluminums, aluminum classes that are used 
uh, in firearms manufacturing, there's 6,000 series and there's 7,000 series. Um, 6061 is the one that most commonly gets used in some of the commercial products. And that's a great aluminum because it's very easy to machine. It's very soft and easy on tooling, relatively soft rather. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it deforms a little easier. That plastic zone comes on a little earlier than on 7075. 7,000 series, very high tensile strength, right? Very high compression yield ratio. So it takes a lot to bend that. The problem is that it doesn't yield like 6,000 does. So it doesn't bend, it just snaps, right? Uh, just fractures and cracks. And so that 6,000 series is good when you're trying to craft an optic that, um, you know, you don't necessarily expect to be taking a lot of abuse and impact and you want to, you know, target a particular price point. The 7,000 series is great if you want it to be as durable as possible. But most important between those two is the design. You know, uh, you know, for us, when you look at the LP1, for example, um, you know, we obviously we have this hood design, but at the same time, like what we discovered in our in our FEA as well as our destructive testing is that it's not enough to simply tackle material science, just have a basic design and, and you know, make, you know, everything out of 7,000 series. Because at the end of the day, you know, if I take an impact at the top of this LP1, let's say without the hood, just the right impact with this 7,000 series body, um, the tensile strength is so high that all the kinetic energy is just going to go straight through the aluminum and then crack the glass. The aluminum well, is going to right? Yeah, that's, that's what people I think, I mean, that we're, we're clearly not, educated in that stuff but that's that's why it's important because everyone i think assumes like uh why well why wouldn't i want seven thousand that's it's yeah. it's stronger it's like well technically and that's yeah. yeah and that's why you see a lot of things like um like the unity riser that everybody uses right like that but that's something that you you know you want maximum strength in that because of what its role plays and you don't want it to shift or move or bend because of zero implications but when you're talking about something like an optic and this goes back to what we were talking about with like aaron cowan's testing is you want this thing to keep going after it suffers a major impact and i and i, I think and correct me if i'm wrong here by being by being calculated in where you use certain materials you can help distribute right that kinetic energy that shock that impact to you know uh make sure that you you maximize the life of the optic under those stressful circumstances. Yeah, that's correct. And so, you know, much of that is, is redirecting that kinetic energy, like you said, and not just equally distributing it, but like, for example, like, you know, our fasteners on our, uh, on our hood, you know, it's a special grade of fastener that's bolted onto the housing below the glass. And so if the optic takes an impact, most of that, you know, kinetic energy is going to be absorbed by bending of the hood, but also transferred to the base of the optic, where then goes straight to the rifle and away from our glass and away from our emitter. You know, uh, if it was bolted on higher, for example, it'd be counterintuitive because then it'd just, you know, shock through the system and crack those more vulnerable components that aren't really going to raise the ceiling of the durability of your optic as high as you may want it to go. That'll always be the limiting variable of the glass and the emitter, you know, uh, and we saw that with like the EOTech drop testing that we did, it, you know, it was just one drop on concrete. Um, we tried to center it as much as possible, but even then it still kind of hit the corner a little bit, which kind of shows the inefficiency of that square design. Uh, and it shattered the ocular lens and the objective lens immediately uh, and, you know, pretty, pretty crazily. And, you know, obviously it, it also damaged several of the reflectors inside the housing. And so you couldn't see the reticle at all, even though it was, you know, technically powered on. And conversely, not to sound like a, you know, a greasy salesman, but our optic uh, technically took six impacts uh, before the ocular lens cracked. And then it still held zero. You know, we had to collapse the hood all the way or to the point where it's basically non-functional. 
uh, where yeah. the you know, force was going straight to the hood, straight to the optic housing. And that's that's kind of you know some some of the parameters of testing that we did on this LP1. The reason why we switched from seven thousand from six thousand series to seven thousand series in the development uh, process of just the housing alone is that we found that. You know, we could get it that much more durable if we switch from 6,000 to 7,000, because instead of the housing bending uh, and then obviously destroying the internal components from the 6,000 series, 7,000 series give us just a little bit more kinetic energy, a few more newtons of impact absorption before translating that force straight to the glass and cracking it. And then we added the hood, obviously. And so just a little like tidbit here, our next iteration of, uh, you know, our rifle optics or uh, our red dots, rather, we're making a almost like a brother optic to the Promethean. And it's going to be called the Atlas. And all that is, it's just like a, you know, a slim down optic for the guy who knows that he's not going to be intentionally, you know, throwing his optic against the wall. Um, it's going to lose this hood. It's going to be a little shorter, maintain the same optic window uh, size, but obviously be a little lighter and then have some of those uh, replacement bases so that you don't have to buy a unity riser. You just, you know, use the correct 193 or 226 sandwich plate and then put the, you know, QD below it and then you're good to go. And so that's more for like the, uh, the, the user is a little more careful with his with his optics and that's going to be fully U.S. made. So there's going to be a slight premium there. But, you know, for the guy who doesn't want something that's sourced internationally with components, that can also be your ticket. You know, so yeah. we're, we're, we're trying to offer people as, you know, uh, I guess as clear of a message as we can uh, regarding the manufacturing and the, you know, you know, purported use cases of these things, because I don't want to go out there and tell people that, uh, you know, this thing is the lightest weight optic in the world because it's obviously not. And conversely, I'm not going to tell people that the upcoming Atlas is the most durable optic in the world because it's not going to be. Well, and that's, I was just going to say, that's, <clears throat> you know, I wish you the best of luck with that because how many people went out and ran out and bought like the, the Trigicon SRO when it came out? Like, oh, yeah, I love my RMR and this has got a bigger, bigger window. Oh, it's going to be great. Oh, this is amazing. And then it was like, you know, a month after release when it's finally getting out there to the masses and you see this giant wave of people just bitching and moaning because it's like, oh man, my my lens cracked. It's not dr-. like, well, did you did you do any research on this? It's it yeah. this is not they say it on the site in like bold letters, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. This is not a duty rate optic. It it yeah. was designed for the competition world, you know, like and if if you go into it with that understanding, then obviously it changes everything. Certainly. People don't do that. They just like, yeah, I I don't know. Like, honestly, for what people charge for some optics, you know, and there's some up that are up there, 800, $900,000, whatever. Right. You'd be surprised. It it blows me away at how little reading people do before making that kind of a financial commitment. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Even on the small, even on the shorter end, like just a little bit of like, you know, backstory back when we were doing some, you know, blanket third-party resale before we got into the optic space, we actually resold uh, a bunch of a uh, competitor's, uh, offerings through our website, uh, one particular company. Um, and, you know, that we were we were doing super well on, you know, the SEO and the marketing, the online marketing. Uh, and, you know, that company reached out and basically said, hey, listen, you know, you don't have a brick and mortar. And if you want to continue to sell these products on your website, we're going to raise your cost by 20%. And just to give you some numbers, I was paying like 210-ish dollars for that particular product and I was reselling it for 250. So, you know, after your credit card fee and your shipping, you're paying your employees, you're not making a whole lot of money there. And so to raise another 20%, it was just like, well, this doesn't work. Uh, and so all it took was just a little bit of research and we found the, uh, you know, the, the company that manufactures that optic for them. We reached out and we were like, hey, say we wanted this optic that you make for this brand that we know you make for this brand. What would be our unit cost? And they told us it was $62, 62 bucks. Jesus Christ. 
So you can see why we're entering the space, not for the financial incentive, but to show people and tell people like, hey, listen, you we can still make a couple bucks. I can still pay rent in my apartment and still offer you an exceedingly brilliant optic uh, and a product that's way better than what the industry tells you um, is the most durable whatever out there. And you don't have to break the bank because the margins on the industry are so fat that this was bound to happen. There's going to be a race to the bottom, you know? Yeah. If we just came out there with the exact same products as the industry, we'd still make money just like the, you know, Amazon sellers do. But obviously we wanted to, you know, uh, push the edge. We're not reinventing the wheel here, but we, we are trying to take off, take as many boxes as possible. Uh, and that's why we were basically, that, that's what frankly, like kickstarted us into They, we, they were like, Hey, we're going to raise prices on you. I was like, screw you. I'm just going to make your optics, but better. <laughs> was that, was that really, was that the moment then? Like, cause I was going to ask you like, you know, of all the things you could get into for trying to like jump into your own, your own brand. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, cause you could, it could be the next most innovative handguard. Or, I mean, so there's so many companies taking off now with, with suppressors or flashlights, you know, there's a million different things you could have picked to gone into. Was that, yeah. was that just that overwhelmingly poor experience? What kind of just got you yeah. going? Like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. It was a pretty, it was a pretty gutless move because this is a company that we had, I'd given um, maybe conservatively $600,000 worth of business to over the course of that year and a half. Well, that's right? all. Yeah, <laughs> and for them to you know cast us to the side because it, you know frankly I, I think it was because we were outselling them off of just the Google search results the SEO, uh, but for them to want to capitalize on the online sales obviously um, and only allow us to sell uh, uh, their glamorous products uh, at a slight discount if it was brick and mortar only seeing that was like okay this is this is the betrayal that we needed to to truly like you know on a company's uh, wide scale. Uh, you know, genuinely understand that the industry, much of the industry is very greasy. And so, um, you know, especially when there's a downturn in the economy and there's a downturn in sales, like you'll see a lot of these manufacturers cut straight uh, B2C, like straight to uh, consumer sales and cut out their dealers and sell products for cheaper uh, than they would previously sell their dealers and distributors straight to the customer so that they can stay afloat at the cost of the smaller guys getting uh, eaten alive by the, by the market, obviously. And so that's not something that we're going to do, but at the same time, yes, I, that was that was certainly one of the big pushes that we had. The first big push we had was, you know, back when it was just myself and my business partner, we were on Amazon. We were selling little vice blocks and stuff as like paperweights, right? And then uh, uh, some some dingus journalist, freaking dork, <laughs> some some dude came out and was like, "Hey, you know, I know, uh, I know you guys are selling AR-15 vice blocks. Can you tell me about them? I'm just interested as to why you're selling them on, you know, Amazon." Oh, no. I was like, "I'm not replying to this. Goodbye." Yeah. Um, he made this like this huge thing. Like he contacted Amazon. He was like, this guy's selling like AK-47s and his name's Ahmad. Good <laughs> on Amazon page, right. I mean, who cares? But at the end of the day, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, Amazon didn't like that very much. And so we had to go well, in-house. And, and, and the shitty part about that, though, is that Amazon came, I'm assuming, right, came after you guys and like, oh, we can't have that. However... Yeah. Yeah, you will search on Amazon, and I'll talk about the Unity Riser because I already said it once, and I've seen this specifically. You'll search yeah. that Unity Riser, and you'll find three or four different like Chinese knockoffs of that Unity yeah, Riser, yeah, and yeah. and it'll be tagged as Amazon's choice, and it's yeah. intellectual property theft. And oh nope, and I actually had a friend who who lost his. Well, I mean, he, technically it was his wife's Prime account, but he they like they lost their Prime account because he went and I think it was if it wasn't the Unity Riser, it might it was something else. 
And he posted and left a review and said, you know, like I would give this zero stars if I could. And this is intellectual property theft. If anybody's seriously looking and considering this, just understand this is a direct like fabrication or, 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 you know, clone, whatever of this optic, this is, this isn't right, whatever. Um, so it's, it always, you know, surprises. Well, I guess not anymore, but yeah. it's, it's shocking. Yeah. You Best know? part about it is that guy, like he posted on Twitter and then like reposted it. Cause no one cared. And like the most he got was like eight likes. And I'm like, dude, eight likes for you to try to shut my business down. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Over yeah. something. Yeah. It's a hunk of plastic. It's a vice block, dude. Yeah. But who cares? It's a, at the end of the day, thankfully that we, you know, we went in-house, we then, you know, uh, started, you know, developing the brand. And then, you know, to your, to your question, um, you know, as we got into the resale, we, we realized some of the huge both marketing and product development errors that these companies were making. Uh, and we got a first glimpse of that. And thankfully we were blessed to be absolved of that because, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, free to buy the product. Obviously it's not our product. We don't warrant uh, this particular item. Right. You have to go to the manufacturer mm-hmm. if you have an issue with it, or if you have any complaints about it. And we get a bunch of guys. And that's the beauty of the you know anonymity of the, the Internet is that everyone would come out and give us their honest take and be like, hey, this thing sucks for the following reasons. I wish it had a, you know, this particular feature instead of this uh, characteristic and be like, hey, man, th- thanks for the input. I, you know, uh, appreciate your business. Blah, blah, blah. That's it. You know what I mean? So you, you collect all of these. Uh, opinions and this input over time, and then you curate a product that's better based on all of that. And, you know, surprisingly or not surprisingly, uh, the industry loves it, you know? Uh, and so it, it just, it's just picking up the slack where some of these bigger companies fall off uh, and they realize that they've had a good, too good for a while. Uh, and now they, they actually have to innovate uh, because otherwise we're going to, we're going to take their lunch, you know? Yeah. That's all. Well, and, and, and there, there is a tough side to it as well. I mean, product development is is almost never an, an overnight endeavor and i think some of the people who, out there who are hyper critical of um some of the companies out there like well here you you the last red dot you released you know uh was eight years ago and it's been all you've done you know or like people like to bash glock right so every gun they make is the same gun it's like well i mean yeah but it it's really good for what it is um the other piece of it is that like none of this stuff happens overnight. And if it, if it does happen overnight, it's usually pretty shitty. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, what, I mean, if you can get into it all, how long were you guys working on this design and try like, you know, from like concept to, to prototype to actually hitting the market, what does that amount of time and yeah. look like? Yeah. So LP one specifically was about two years. Um, Say that again, know. just so everybody understands. Oh yeah. Two years for the LP one. Yeah. Uh, there you a, go. You know, in, in contrast with some of the other products that are out there, like, you know, it's, and that's, that's working on granted a limited budget uh, and a limited team of engineers. But, you know, thankfully we were, we were blessed to also have uh, someone who had just, you know, basically joined in uh, right place at the right time, if you will. Um, our chief design officer drew a brilliant uh, mechanical engineer uh, and, uh, also, uh, has a master's in industrial design. So like, you know, finding someone like him is like a needle in a haystack, but, uh, uh and on top of that, former green beret, uh, lots of service. Oh, no work. shit. That's awesome. Yeah. The guy is, the guy is basically Superman. And so he came in and, and basically, you know, gave us the lowdown. I'm like, you know, you can, you can change these fasteners. You can, you can extend this hood a little bit. You can, you know, swap things out here. Um, and not really dig into the cost that much and offer that much more quality of life improvements. And he did a lot for us. 
uh, on the LP1. And it was because of that, that we learned directly, um, you know, there, there's, you know, if we thought that we had 90% of it done, um, and he just came in into the last 10%, that last 10% was actually what made the difference, right? Uh, that's what takes your product from being a good product or a so-so product to an excellent product. Uh, and it takes that school and that firsthand experience, especially, um, you know, jumping out of fucking helicopters and dropping a carbine and having an EOTech yeah. shatter, for example, yeah. you know, crap, now my fine sight's bent too. You know, what am I going to shoot with? You know what I mean? Well, that was, that was going to be one of my, one of my questions too, is like with the testing process, I'm sure him having been through so much of it, because, yeah. you know, everything, everything fails at yeah. some point, everything fails. And it's, it's, it never ceases to amaze me. These guys that are that have never been like, and I'm not saying that just military experience alone is enough to justify some of these arguments, but these guys who have never done anything and yeah. they'll go, you know, I've seen comments like, well, this, uh, like the scene in lone survivor, right. Yeah. Where they're falling down that, it, like this horrendous cliff side and everything's getting torn up and broken. And, and guys will say, well, do you think that this optic could survive that? Because an ACOG would, and it's like, oh, okay. All right cool good point man awesome um also i live in the middle of suburbia it's flat as hell here and i mean to some extent like you don't discard the you know the durability argument altogether but like that that is probably never gonna fucking happen to me yeah so am i worried about it when i do like my own testing or research i mean probably not as much to some extent yes but you know i mean not not like that yeah no certainly that's you know um and that's not really been like man's quest, right? Uh, not, not very many people want just the most, you know, indestructible optic ever at the cost of all the features that you need for an optic to be good. You know, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's striking that compromise as with everything else, you know? Uh, and so, you know, for us, it's you know, just trying to, trying to offer as many products as possible for people uh, just to see what you know the limitations are, but also still maintaining a floor, a baseline of durability that we need for our brand. Like, you know, recently I, I was posed the question, like, why don't you like, you know, coming off as like the 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 people's manufacturer, if you will, why don't you come out with like a nice little cheap RMR clone, some open emitter pistol dot? And you know, I, I straight up was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not interested in any open emitter optics ever, you know. Um, that's just not what we want to, to implement on handguns. And like, look, we, we have a lot of time on some of these legacy systems, you know, um, you know, some of these open emitter designs and nearly every single one of them, uh, we just despise over time, uh, just because of the basics of suburbia. Like you said, like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have to pull my gun out after a long day and, and look through the sites and see a bunch of freaking dirt and, and grime and crap in that red dot because it's an open emitter design, you well, know? And and now what are we seeing in the market? We're seeing all these little goofy add-ons and like rear hoods to, to yeah. trans. I think there's a company, I think it's HRF maybe. I don't know. Um, but they, the RMR, right? Yeah. You're sealing off the rear, your, your RMR. And then that's not like a dig on HRF, but it's, it's, they're acknowledging that people want the closed emitter. We, we finally have gotten to a point as a community where we understand that the closed emitter is the way to yeah. go for a lot of different reasons. Um, and I don't know if you can expound on where the benefit is that if it's, it's purely just protection or. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, yeah it's protection uh, certainly of, of, of uh, not necessarily protection, but rather uh, keeping the sight picture clean because you know, your most of your uh, open emitter optics will still have like a small pane of glass uh, in front of the diode, obviously to keep it sealed. Mm -hmm. 
and you know that's what usually whenever things are, are occluding the optic it's just getting in the way of that small pane of glass in front of the diode and the objective lens uh, and so you know obviously when you have a closed emitter optic you're not sitting there trying to clean out the, the snowflakes that landed in there while it was sitting in your holster on a snowy day you know you just wipe it off like you do your normal optic when you go outside uh, and it's it's super easy and uh you know obviously the the like it's not that much more of a material cost for me to add a little bit of aluminum behind the objective lens and seal off, you know, an ocular. Uh, it's you know not particularly difficult from that perspective. But what is difficult is is you know taking these electronics that are in a larger optic uh, and shrinking them down in a way where it still makes sense. You know the you know what we're trying to do here with the the upcoming Pandora. That's our like our, our little our little mailbox pistol dot Pandora's box. Get it? Uh, so the little uh, yeah, I like that. Uh, ironically, one of our redditor uh, buddies actually came up with that name, and so we're sending him one for free. But you know, it's stuff like that. Like we pulled it, pulled everyone, got some awesome freaking ideas, and Pandora won out, and so he's getting a free one um, here in a couple of months. But like. Uh, you know, which but, I will just say it, it is shocking with the movement towards those like closed emitter style things and everything like that, that hasn't already been thought of, but like, yeah. good for you guys. Cause like, yeah. there you go. Now you got it. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. But um, you know, you look at the industry and you look at the industry standards and obviously when, whenever we tackle a product in the industry, we're going to look at the best of the best. And we're going to think to ourselves, not how do we match this rather? How do we beat it? Right. Because we are a new company. Not many people know of us. Right. The only guys that know of us are like millennials or Zoomers. That's it. You know. <laughs> and so yeah. how do you establish that brand notoriety? You do it by not only offering a product that's an attractive price, but you do it by significantly outperforming the competition. Right. So our our, our Pandora, for example, uh, is coming to market significantly more affordable than the Acro P2, which is like the cream of the crop right now. Uh, in closed emitter red dots. But that window size of the endpoint acro is only about 16 millimeters by 16 millimeters. So very small. It's like you're looking through a tiny little toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that kind of slows things down uh, and it slows down your sight picture. The nice thing about the acro P2 though is that it uses a CR2032. It's a larger battery cell. So it gives you the battery life of like the endpoint T2, for example. Mm -hmm. Um the Steiner MPS is the other one that people gravitate to because it has a larger window. It's about 20 millimeters wide. Uh, but the downside with that is the battery is a smaller cell. It's like a 1600 series. And so your battery life is less than half of your traditional three volt cell. So for us, it's pretty standard. Okay, how about we make a large window closed pistol uh, emitter you know, optic, but also use a 2032 so that you get the long battery life of the Acro and the large window of the MPS. It's a pretty basic formula, but it works. Uh, use the right materials, design the optic properly so that it can withstand impact and abuse. And most importantly, redirect that kinetic energy through the slide and the frame of the handgun. And also do some quality life improvements, right? Like our, for example, our, our ocular lens is, you know, recessed as it should be. Uh, but we added more material at the front of the lip here of the optic and we checkered it only lightly. Just so guys have a little more oomph when it comes to racking the slide off of, you know, a barrier or a frame, you know, for example, or a door. Uh, just to give it a little more bite just to lock on it and then, you know, send it out without obviously damaging the glass. And same with the rear of the ocular. So if you, you know, if you pull that handgun back away from a barrier or you clip it or it comes out of the holster weird or funky, uh, you're not cracking the glass, right? Which is something that our competition does not do very well. And so like these small quality of life improvements, uh, serrations are on the housing that aren't deep or uncomfortable, but are enough to give you a little more grip and traction to grab the slide uh, and the optic. These are, these are things that people look for. 
I think. Yeah. Particularly when it comes to our testing, our private testing, prototype testing, instructive testing, and all that stuff. It all plays a part. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to these closed emitter dots, it's not enough to just slap an RMR and a ceiling plate behind it so that it looks good. <laughs> right. You know, now, for the cost of entry uh, total, you know, and, and your, your total buy-in, you're almost better off, you know, buying the solution that's done out of the box, in my opinion. Uh, but obviously, your mileage may vary. People like to, you know, do things the way yeah. they want, folks, and all that. But you know, that's just how we that's how we approached it. Uh, and you know, thankfully, a lot of good interest on that, uh, and a lot of good support from guys. And so we're lucky to looking to hopefully have that come out here within sixty days or so. Uh, with you know, and, and if you're like your average Acro P two goes for like six hundred bucks on a good day. We're going to come in about half that. Uh, and so we're going to be able to offer people a lot more for a lot less. That's, that's, that's the big, that's awesome. Like, honestly, when you look at feature versus cost, you know, uh, yeah. and, and it's, it's weird. Cause you know, you see the, the established brands and a lot of that stuff just never changes and they release new models and there are legacy issues with some of them. And I'll, I'll pick on the RMR here. It's, it's a fabulous optic. Right. I mean, it's durable. I, I, I am envious. I am so envious of the utility patent that they have on that design. Yeah. Otherwise, we would have totally mimicked something similar to that. Like those patent and, terms and like just studying that claim, those guys are freaking whizzes, man. But, you know, and <laughs> they rolled out the SRO and, you know, great stuff. But yeah. they, they still are using the bottom loading battery that yeah. just drives people crazy like i don't want to have to you know because a lot of people use like a little you know a little blue loctite you don't want those screws backing out and sometimes it's a bit of a bear you know and you just want to be able to slap the the new battery in if you're on the range or something and go to town you do not want to have to you know perform i mean i might say surgery but you yeah. know there's all this delicate stuff you know yeah yeah and you know i that's where you know what uh like hollow sun stepped in, Hey, we're gonna do this side loading battery tray concept. And a lot of people go, Oh, I don't know if that'll work because whatever reason. And then it did. And all of a sudden it's like, Whoa. Um, and then it seemed, and then from there on, it's like, okay, now that now it's open game, people almost, you know, overnight realized, Hey, you can, you can innovate off of these ideas. It doesn't, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, like that person that, that asked you, why don't you just make like a cheap, rmr clone it doesn't have to be the copy of the same old thing you know yeah. and and if there's similarities there you know i know i like i said i saw in some of the comments people were comparing you know the lp1 to whatever sig optic it's like okay so it it, it shares some aesthetic uh characteristics yeah. but there's dude there's so much more to it and you know i i just I, it's exciting to watch as a consumer yeah because you get to like you said there's a race to the bottom and yeah. Again, you know, we, you know, we we talked about the driving the military thing, and all of this is is like it's almost like twenty years in the making that we finally get to today, where we as consumers get to like just enjoy that. There's companies like what you guys are doing out there, like trying to innovate and and bring the best offering out there. It's it's kind of a really, I mean, aside from this whole sitting political administration, which I don't want to get into, but it's a great time to be a gun owner. Uh, yeah. Short of that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe a non AR pistol owner. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was that was our biggest thing. We we had just launched the arc the week of shot. 
Um, that's like our all-rounder carbine or whatever. And we were all tooled up for that 12 and a half inch mid-length monoblock barrel that we have. It's really nifty stuff. Um, and as soon as we launched, the you know ruling came out and it just hamstrung the entire launch. And we had to do a very quick transition to you know 14 and a half inch pinned and welded and 16 inch barrels and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, I I had so many more optic plans, you know, that I would have used preferred to use this money for, but like you know, that's, that's how the industry goes, man. It sucks, but sometimes you gotta, you gotta be quick on your feet, you know, especially yeah. as a startup. <laughs> well, and, and hopefully this is what it seems to be is over the last maybe year, we started to see more, you know, like Supreme court decisions that have ruled in the people's favor. I'll say that, you know, uh, or yeah. oh, it's the people's favor. It's just not in favor of the ATF. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> hopefully that, that, that continues and that, that opens those doors for, you know, continued innovation and different ideas. Cause for as, as much uh, of similarities as we see with people and the AR platform, there's obviously quite a bit of innovation that can still be introduced to that, Certainly. that, that design, you know? Um, and again, to your point, uh, it's not always a, a price, uh, you know, a, a high price is high quality. Uh, I just got to go to somebody's last weekend and uh, he dropped $2,800. I'm not going to say the brand, but $2,800 on a just regular gas impingement AR system and oh. um, ran this thing and was having, I mean, it was just, she was running real rough, really, yeah. really overgassed and couldn't figure it out, you know, was just, okay, maybe it's a break-in thing. Maybe I just need to wear this out a little bit. I think he said he ran like 800 rounds through or something and ended up cracking the bolt. What? Because of how overgassed it was, and he got a hold of the the company, and like, oh well, we design all these to be ran suppressed. It's like, well, did wow, did that? <laughs> like, did you are you going to let me know? So he ended up getting a a piston conversion kit to it, which I mean, I don't even know how many. In addition to your twenty hundred dollar price tag, yeah, now you're just now, sunk cost, you know. Yeah, new bolt carrier, right? New piston kit, and it's like, okay, so now this is. I don't even know what he spent on it, but let's just say conservatively, probably a $3,000 rifle. Yeah, that's and, crazy. Cause it's like, cause I know the, I know the materials that these guys use and I know like, you know, the, the, the margin that they have, it's just, it's absurd, right? Like we, you know, without getting into too many nerdy technical details, like, you know, our arc is right around that $1,200 mark. Right. However, we have durability enhancements that practically eliminate most of your gas system issues because we don't have a gas block. We have a barrel that's machined and a gas block that's machined into the barrel, right? It's part of the same steel. So there's nothing that's affixed that could compromise the reliability of the gas system, right? Our bulk carrier group is DLC coated. It's superior to chrome, magfos, nitride, all that stuff. Um, you know, like every material selection and every process used uh, for every individual component is uh, almost always superior to what the industry currently offers. And on top of that, every rifle is individually gauged. Every single rifle is high pressure uh, tested in terms of the bolt carrier, proof tested and mag, mag particle inspected. And then each rifle is test fired at the range so that the customer doesn't have to pick it up. And, you know, yo, I spent 1200 bucks on this gun. Why isn't it functioning out of the box? I personally, if I had bought a $600 gun, I would expect that thing to work out of the box. Yeah. You know, um, especially if you're marketing it towards the self-defense aspect. Right. So, you know, for me, it's like, I see stuff like that and I see the customers that get hosed and dude, it breaks my heart, you know. <laughs> well, this is actually this is actually the second person I've met <clears throat> that bought one of these rifles, and yeah. the first one was in a uh, was running it in a rifle class, 
Um, and he had some issues with ejection, but then we, we come to find out like he was running just like a regular A2 buffer in spring. As soon as we swapped in like a Geisley, like a you slow, the, slow the carrier down. Yeah. Okay, fine. And then an hour and a half later, his safety broke. Nice. It, it went on safe and would not come off. And, yeah. uh, and it's, this was not like a three day weekend long class. This is a like five and a half hour, like at your local gun range carbine course. Um, yeah. So same company. Uh, and he actually was running it suppressed. Um, you know, so, uh, it just, it, it, it does, it, it goes, cause we've brought it up a couple of times. You can't even overstate like a, do your research, but B price is not always indicative of quality. It, it, it just, sometimes it is, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do get what you pay for it, at least in features usually, but that's not, it doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, $2,800. I mean, hell you could buy three, ARs, uh, you know, and, or shit, an AR and an optic and a light and probably be halfway to a can at that point. Yeah. We're, we're, um, my, my VP Jimmy came up with this brilliant idea that we're going to be implementing here in about a month. Like, um, our lowest common denominator product is going to be like a $650 AR that we're going to use as like the unit of measure. So if someone tells me like, you know, I bought a $2,800 rifle. I could be like, bro, you could have bought four of these. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that yeah. particular rifle, he's he came up with the name. He's going to call it the Jag. We're calling it the Jag or the just as good because <laughs> it actually will be just as good. <laughs> yeah, because so, people make all the memes about that that phrase online and everything. But I mean, it would it's one of those things I think that the industry sorely needs for people is they said that like benchmark you can because that's like in handguns, it's it it's it's a Glock, right? It's your Glock yeah. 17. That is what you measure all other handguns against, whether you love it or hate it. Yeah. That they have established themselves as yeah. the benchmark. But yeah. for ARs, we don't really have that. No, it used to be like the Colt 6920, and then that took a downturn. And then since then, everyone's just been like trying to find something that, hey, this is what you want. This is the benchmark, but everyone has their misses. So it's all about quality control, man. You don't have to know how to make trigger pins. You just have to source them from the contractor that's been making them for decades and then gauge it appropriately and test it appropriately. And you're good. Which is still very difficult given that everybody, I mean, like we said earlier, right? The 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 consumer market blew up after the ban and everything. And the nice part is you have a lot of options. So you yeah. can have, you know, you're not, hey, we're just picking, uh, you know, the best of the worst here. We You can literally source the best option that's out there. Yeah. Um, and make that that's decision how, within you know whatever confines you have. That's how Bravo Company built their brand. You know that's how BCM, like BCM, does not machine their own bolt carrier groups. They buy them from a company called Microbest, right? And that's like common knowledge. You know, uh, I actually uh, didn't know that. So that's yeah. actually kind of cool to hear. Yeah, it's, a, it's a whole bunch of stuff, right? Like all they do is like you know Paul Buffoni. He doesn't need to make you know an ejector roll pin. He just has to quality control it when they come in and make sure that they inspect because. You know, for you to like even your largest defense contractors, LMT, for example, they don't make the the majority of their lower parts get components, right? They outsource much that manufacturing. There was like this huge uh, issue that occurred with like their latest contract in New Zealand with a bunch of broken firing pins because one of their subcontractors, uh, you know, did a mediocre job at making those firing pins. And so, you know, that's chasing the numbers, getting the cheapest available product to save a couple more bucks. I don't know if that's what they were doing, but I see that with much of the industry. And that's why you get a broken safety selector. Like there is no reason that you should have sourced 
a safety selector that could potentially break to save an extra dollar per unit, you know, instead of going from the guy who's been doing it for freaking ever. So I don't know. It's crazy to me, but you know, I'm glad that you pick up on all the same industry crap uh, that pisses us off here. It makes us cringe. And we just like, you know, it makes us like, you know, think that like, God damn it, we should make safety selectors, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I think it, it's hard to miss, honestly, you spend enough time in the, uh, you know, around the industry. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't consider myself an industry insider or anything like that. I've, I have connections with people at suppressor companies and optics companies and things like that. Guys have casual conversation here and there with and stuff. But I mean, it, for anybody listening to this, right. And you just like, Oh, wow. I wonder, you know, how you, do you just pick this stuff up over time? If you pay attention, it's a lot of it is really obvious if you pay attention and then things will jump out in a conversation and a guy will say, yeah, you know, I had a, a, you know, my extractor just like completely shit the bed. Like three of them in a row were bad from XYZ company. And then you come to find out like, you know, what, like what you just said with LMT and stuff, you know, there's not, you know, just cause there's 10,000 brands of companies doing a bolt carrier, right. Does not mean that there's 10,000 actual individual, you know, uh, shops that are making them. It's way less than that. Yeah, uh, we get a bunch of guys who always solicit us like, hey, man, do you want us to be your new OEM for like your basic nitride bolt? And I was like, sure, send one over, you know, let's see where your manufacturing capabilities are. And like we see all the telltale characteristics of our current defense contractor that makes your bolt. And so it's like, I know where you get this from. Uh, no, you know, <laughs> you're yeah. not a manufacturer, you're a retailer. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's crazy. But you see a lot of that. People are just like, oh. I made a logo, buy my merch. Let me slap it on this. This is now mine. It's like, no, it's not, dude. <laughs> it's really not just, and, 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 and that's fine, but, but don't sell yourself as something you're not. Precisely. And I think we're, we are starting to, with companies like, like what Lead and Steel is doing, I, I think moving away from that, it's becoming more difficult to be a company that only functions as that, uh, that white labeling or, or relabeling, yeah. rebrand, whatever you want, that that's that retail only company. It's getting way harder because people have just way more access to information. Yeah. 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 And these big time military contractors are like making waves in the branding. Like, Hey, this is who we are. We actually do all these things, you know, and they're profiting off of it directly. So it's interesting. It's an interesting turn of events. So I, I'm, I'm hoping we, you know, we, we stay in this philosophy long-term so that we don't ever have to be, you know, the next company that's like, you know, as part of some crazy scandal. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Well, hopefully not. Right. Yeah. Um, but this has been awesome, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk me through and, and the listeners through what you guys are working on. Oh, uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Can you, before we kind of wrap it here, um, if people want to find out more information about what you guys are doing or, or look into, you know, placing an order, um, I know you guys are on social media. I know you got a website and everything, but can you throw that out there for the listeners and maybe just how they can get a hold of you guys? Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. So uh, Lead and Steel, we're, you know, we have our own website, obviously, leadandsteel.co or .com. It'll take you to the .co page. Uh, we're Lead Steel, L-E-A-D-S-T-E-E-L on Instagram. And we're just Lead and Steel on Reddit and on YouTube. Uh, and so, you know, wherever, wherever you get your, uh, your gun digest information, you'll, you'll find us. So, you know, definitely sign up for our email. Uh, if you haven't already, we, we will, uh, you know, oftentimes send out, we won't just spam people with products. We'll send out a bunch of like newsletters and blog, uh, articles that we curate just for people to get a deeper understanding of some of the material science and the manufacturing decisions and, uh, capabilities of, you know, our products and stuff like that. Uh, and we obviously also update us, you know, update people with, 
product updates. And if you want to be a part of the early stage R and D with some of the, you know, the, the renders and leaks that we send out, definitely join our little subreddit uh, called lead and steel. Um, and we'll, we'll show you guys all the, the fun stuff that we're working on in the background. We've got a bunch of red dots coming, uh, a bunch of magnified optics coming, uh, uh, you know, more weapon systems uh, and weapon lights as well. And so it's, it's all coming together uh, very quickly. Lots of irons in the fire right now. And so if you don't mind, follow us there and we'll keep you posted. It's exciting stuff, man. That's that's cool. And and it's cool that you can actually get in there and see it like as it's developing as a as a uh potential consumer, right? So that's that's really awesome. Uh and and yeah, man, I mean just just thank you again. Like I, I feel like this is the the optics space. I know you guys do more than optics, but it's just it's something that people just don't know about, right? And it's really just awesome to get the insight and uh and to hear you talk about it yeah no worries man something happens to me uh it was hollow something that did it <laughs> yeah everybody listening write that down <laughs> but but i i do i appreciate it man i know the listeners probably enjoy this uh and and uh, i look forward maybe we can do this again in the future when you guys have some more stuff going on and uh we'll definitely be in touch man cool. absolutely thanks so much well there you go that was an awesome conversation with Ahmad. Uh, we got into a lot of the detail. You know, I think parts and pieces of that conversation, a lot of you guys may have already been able to glean from other sources or had some kind of, you know, understanding. But really, when you put it in perspective of the start to the finish and why certain, you know, design choices are made or material choices or why it's not just so easy to just roll something out every year. You know, sometimes we wonder why the big name companies and stuff or any company in general really doesn't always have something new and big and shiny and exciting to debut every year. That's why, man. I mean, you heard him say it two years from start to finish uh, on getting on getting the LP one out to market. It's a huge undertaking. And it's again, it is it's really exciting to see a company like this doing it the right way, you know, putting the customers first, designing a product that's going to stand on its own two feet and at a price point that a lot of us can afford to get into and know that we're making a quality investment in our own capabilities and in some some gear, you know, a product kit, whatever you want to call it, that has a, a good warranty and the solid backing of a of just an awesome company behind it. So uh really, really appreciated Ahmad taking the the time to sit and talk with me. That was really, really good stuff. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Um and that's what we aim to do here, you know, educate you guys, bring these these awesome conversations with these really just you know remarkable folks to you. Uh, and we're gonna keep doing it. You know, we got a lot of stuff laid out for the next uh, couple of weeks here, and I'm looking forward to all of it. And, you know, I say this on a lot of our podcasts, I'm super fortunate to have these discussions and very blessed to be in the position that I'm in, uh, where I get to talk with them, build these relationships, uh, make friends with these people and, and, and see where it all leads. So I really do hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. But that's all I got for you guys for this week's episode. Like I said, more coming in the next few weeks. But until then, you guys get out there. You work hard, train smarter, and like we always say here, be prepared.